If you have ever had the privilege of walking through the Sistine Chapel and looked up the 68 feet to see Michelangelo's masterpiece, then you have been in awe. Or simply laid in the grass, away from the city lights on a clear night, and looked up to the millions of miles of our universe. Then you have been in awe. So on the phone today, within awe by Bruce, we have Matt Billen. He's been on the forefront of helping create a new generation of faith-inspired films. And like many of us, he has his dreams, but now he's pushing the envelope of those dreams further, breaking many of the typical rules like don't shoot without a script or don't shoot at night. Matt took the number two selling book in history, John Bunyan's 1678 classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, and created a new immersive fantasy world around the characters of the book in a prequel that would be attractive to modern audiences. And he's done this with a worldwide cast from Korea, Australia, Latin America, the United States, yet he's done it on a micro budget. The trailer is breathtaking and intriguing, gives a glimpse of his success in bringing to life his dream and a film that will reach many. So Matt, so glad to have you on here. I got to tell you, it's very hard to encapsulate all that's going on with you and all that's going on with this film and what it means. So I'm, I'm glad we have this time together to be able to kind of flesh that out. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Bruce. Well, pleasure to be here. Let me start off with just asking you kind of going back, what got you into the whole film world? What was it that drove you there? Uh, well, I was a, a little late to the game. Um, I didn't go to school for this. I'm actually a sed- secondary educator. Um, I teach media and marketing and I also taught at the college level, taught mm-hmm. some film filmmaking at the college level. And I was working for my brother-in-law's production company and was really doing a lot of crew work, you know, more camera operating, graphics, um, sound mixing and engineering, a little bit of music composing. And I just totally around that time in my life completely fell in love with, with filmmaking. And so I was making short films and just playing around. And I mean, I, again, no formal training, just reading books at, you know, over a, over a Frappuccino at Starbucks, uh, you know, just trying to pick up what I could, watching what I could. And then I eventually, you know, fast forward, you know, I, I eventually got to a place where I felt, I guess, competent enough and hooked in and connected enough to try to do something a little bigger because I had done lots of short films. So. so how did you get into the faith-based films? What drove you there? Well, I mean, obviously that aligns with my core values and my beliefs. I love movies. I'm a huge movie buff. I've seen every imaginable genre, and I love, in particular, sci-fi and fantasy. Love comic books growing up, and and there's a there's a gap, there's a divide, because there just isn't a lot of content created, I guess, for people like me. Not Christians is what I'm. I'm not saying Christians. I'm just saying mm-hmm. people that really enjoy these other genres. And yeah, you can you can point to movies like Lord of the Rings and Narnia and say those are symbolic and all that, but they're really. And I guess Narnia is probably the best um, connection. But you know, there just isn't a lot of I guess faith-inspired content that is really hitting more of a diverse crowd and people like me who want this kind of sometimes edgier content, sometimes more action packed or suspenseful mm-hmm. or thriller type con- content. I just wasn't seeing, I'm seeing this huge void. I mean, that's just what I love. That's the kind of mm-hmm. stuff I like to watch. And I thought, man, I would like to make something that you don't feel dirty after watching, mm-hmm. but has some of these fun elements that I really like watching. And at the time my, my boys were young. It took me a long time to make this movie, but my boys were young I was looking at them and thinking, man, I would love to create content they could watch and think is really cool that they'd want to show their friends, not just 
you know, kind of the run of the mill faith-based film. So I guess that's a quick, quick run through, but that's kind of what inspired me. And I'm, I want to continue to push that boundary. I, I really want to make, take this for what it means. I, I don't mean it maybe how it sounds, but I want to make edgier content. And that's not so yeah. much, that's not, I, I'm not saying I want to make gratuitous films. That's not remotely what I'm saying. Right. Um, I think my brother-in-law is a good friend of mine and he does film. He said, honest movies, you know, making films mm-hmm. that are honest with honest characters. And mm-hmm. sometimes that's gritty and sometimes that's dark and sometimes that's violent because that's the real world we live in. And so that was what I was a, sort of attempting to do here with this movie um, using this great source material, but also making it a little bit edgier and and grittier. And I honestly would have pushed it further. There's always oversight. You know, there's people above you saying, hey, we can't sell this to Christian audiences if it's, you know, we say this or we do that. So even even me trying to push with people that also agreed with me, it's mm-hmm. still this game you have to play. You have to shuffle. It's basically a game. You have to kind of figure out, like, who do I want to sell this movie to? Who do I want to watch this movie? So anyway, but it does ultimately align with my core values, and that's important to me but I do like this other type of content. Just as an encouragement, this is the thing I think we sometimes forget. All you have to do is go back and read, especially the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you see the people that are, quote, ones that get looked up to and do amazing yeah. things, and yet their lives are messy, and there's Fair. all kinds of edgy yep. things. You know, I mean, I don't have to think past David or even Abraham. Oh, yeah. right. Jeez, I think I'll sell my wife to the... David having uh, Uriah go out to the front lines to be to be killed so he can take his wife, Bathsheba, you know? Yeah. And there's a fine line there because, you know, I don't want to I don't want to show anything that is going to cause people issues or problems. You know, it's it's kind of a it's this fine line you have to to. And and I don't even know where that line is yet. Um, I know where the line is for me. Yes. But you still want to try to sell a product. You still want to make something people can watch. And I, I want families to be able to watch this movie. But honestly, the first cut of this movie was a little bloodier. There was some, I wouldn't say profanity, but there was definitely more coarse language in it. It's a fantasy film, so we kind of created our own coarse language. And uh, we ended up editing a lot of that out, which I didn't really like, but uh-huh. it's just the way it went. You know, It's the way we were able to get distribution, honestly. And so that, that to me if I'm honest, is frustrating. You know, I, I don't get why the yeah. people in my life, in my world, talk this way and way worse. And mm-hmm. we're out in it. And I'm not saying we need to become it, but if you have characters that are honest, I just I just don't get why. And right. again, Bruce, I wasn't even pushing. I mean, this was still PG-13. I was not even pushing that hard. And it yeah. still was looked down upon by some distributors. So it was it was it's been tricky and kind of frustrating maneuver. It's been a big learning experience for me too, just maneuvering. <laughs> it's either you got to like, go this way or you have to kind of like fall into line sort of right uh, wanted if you want and and ultimately you know i have investors i i need to pay some people back i would mm-hmm. love to pay some people back and so if i don't play the game to a degree at least somewhat i don't have a chance of of returning some of the investment people have made well i'm glad you're working though on finding that that edge to make things as authentic as possible to get out to everybody. Cause I think that is important. Yeah. We're trying. Was there a specific moment that took you from, I'm doing these things along the lines of what I like to do and everything, but all of a sudden, boom, the, the whole idea of taking Pilgrim's progress and yeah. put it into this kind of genre. It was there a specific moment where you felt like God just said, Hey, Matt, how about this? Yeah, I mean, there's been a few, I guess, of those profound moments. The first one, where it all came from, is probably going back 
man, a number of years, way before I even really began the process. And I was at that time, I was doing a lot of documentary film work and some other media. And I was making small short films on tiny budgets and just kind of having fun, scratching itches, just just goofing around, learning a little bit. And I was reading an adapted version of Pilgrim's Progress called, I think it's called The Dangerous Journey. And it's an abridged version. It's a little more kid-friendly the way it's written, but the artwork was incredible. It was very whimsical, very fairy tale. And I'm reading through this book to my to my two sons, and I'm thinking, this is such an awesome – the way that these people have abridged this, they've illustrated it this way – it's almost like a graphic novel. And I'm thinking, man, this would be, it's got such powerful imagery. It's got a lot of things people would really like. It does have action. It has creatures. It has these like whimsical characters. It has these really cool set pieces. It has all these great things. And you have the hero getting his armor and his sword and everything. And it would just be like, it could be slightly adapted to be very much like a, almost like a King Arthur tale. And uh, with all that great symbolism and allegory, which is what Bunyan, that was his brilliance, was all this great allegory. That was like the first moment. And I don't even know when that was. That was probably, I don't know, maybe 10 years, eight years ago, something like that. I know my kids were pretty young. So, and then it was, excuse me, it laid dormant for a little while. And then I remember I was driving through the mountains in Colorado and I was listening to some like epic fantasy music, like on my (laughs) headphones. And it was that moment too. I'm like, I just need to make this movie. I just need to try, you know, I just need to like start putting things down and just see what I can do. And and these were big gaps of time between all this. And then I finally kind of got my act together maybe about four years ago and did like a concept trailer and I pitched it to my brother-in-law's production company. We tried to do a Kickstarter, came up short, did pretty well, but we came up short. And at that mm-hmm. time, the movie was actually far more expensive. I had pitched an idea to do something very kind of organic and grassroots, meaning very kind of handheld, small crew, a guy walking through the woods, encountering all these different things. And that's really how I pitched it to our investors too. It just became a little bigger, but it wasn't until fast forward a little bit. Yeah. We got to about maybe two years ago, a little bit beyond that. And I was about ready to to quit because we'd had, it was such a journey. We had all different people come in and out of this project. We had probably 10 versions of a script. We ended up hiring a an official uh, Writers Guild of America, like a WGA writer in LA to write a treatment or a, a screenplay for us. And we really, we had a little bit of seed money. Uh, we just went through the whole journey and we just couldn't raise the money. It was, we came close numerous times, but it was a much more expensive film. And we were all pretty much ready just to bail and move on to something else. And for me, this was, you know, my first feature and I was really, it was my baby. So I was really almost emotional about it. I was like, man, I don't, I don't want to give up on this, but there's just nothing happening. I just don't know anyone else. I'd already networked a ton. So this is the other kind of profound moment. I was, I was in the car, you know, without getting too personal, there was some real trauma going on in my, uh, in my family too, with my son, my oldest son. And he's fine, but it was just a really trying time, extremely stressful time. I was ready to bail on this project, and I really, and this this kind of stuff doesn't happen to me too often, but I, I felt pretty profoundly, basically the Lord say, just take it back to where you started, you know, take it back to kind of small, intimate, beautiful locations, like really kind of your your initial thing. And I really felt like, too, he told me to not use a script, hmm. which is terrifying as a, as a filmmaker. Definitely. Um, so that was a pivotal moment, and that got me really excited again. It got my juices flowing just to do something really different and really inventive, hopefully inspired by the Lord. You know, that was that was the hope. So I took it back to my two producing partners, and they were initially like, okay, like, all right, we're willing to see where it goes. And we were literally funded within two weeks of what we needed to make this smaller movie. 
and it came in real easy. So it was pretty amazing how quickly, I mean, we waited literally two years, couldn't get anything to happen. And then when I kind of went back to my, my original idea, the money came. So it was, it was a pretty amazing journey. And then from there, it was really about a three to four month whirlwind. And then we were shooting. Yeah, it was, that was, those were some of the kind of profound moments through the journey. It's amazing how when God speaks and he brings that peace, there's a path and here's the path and you know it and you're, you go forward with it, how things like that do open up, the doors yeah, do open. It did. In this case, it was pretty, it was significant. It was profound. It was a time in my life where I was incredibly stressed. Yeah, it happened quick. And that doesn't always happen that way. No, no. So. But boy, you, the, the confidence that comes with that sense that God is leading you. Yeah. It helps a ton. And I got to tell you, you know, too, for, for people who are listening who have carried yeah. visions like this, I think it, for me too, I think that sustained me through the whole process because, you know, the shoot was really, really difficult. But even the post-production, we finished the movie and we had this little movie that was not secular enough, not quite Christian enough. And we had a really hard time selling the film, which is why we ended up doing in, independent uh, distribution, which I think was really the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. But I kept coming back to that original promise, if you will, of this was almost divine inspired. I'm like, there's going to be a, pl-. I kept telling Dan and I would encourage, we would take turns encouraging each other through this process. Uh, he's my producing partner. I would say, I just can't believe Dan that I would be given such, such a vision and such a, this profound moment and how quickly the funding came and all of these things, if there wasn't a place for this film, if there wasn't a place for it to be and people weren't supposed to see it. So that really got me through some of the really low moments and some of the moments where we heard, we heard no a lot because, you know, a lot of the bigger studios were very complimentary, little pat, gentle pat on the back, like, hey, good job, guys. But, <laughs> you know, you don't have a big enough star in this and it's a little too Christian and it's a little not Christian enough or, you know, it was just, it, we heard everything and it was yeah. just, you make a small movie. It's, it's, you just got to find the right place. And a lot of the small distributors, well, they wanted it, but they're not usually very good at paying. Like you don't really make much money from that. And mm-hmm. we just really felt like there was something more for us. So we held out and then we, we went with this independent kind of distribution model, which I think is going to work really well. Wow. No, I'm glad you're expressing to everybody what you are holding on to because that's what I find in my life. Sometimes my memory is not as good as what it needs to be Right. with things that God's done in my life that I, mm-hmm. I have to look back and go, no, he's been faithful here and he's been faithful there. And, and those are things I can hang on to yeah. in those tough times. For sure. And this is one for me too, because I was, we were at the end and it was so quick how fast this got funded after that. I made that decision. So Wow. So as you're looking to have this go out now, uh, maybe two things to talk about. The first yeah. one is is that you're going to do a streaming online October 25th and 26th. $5, you can purchase the ticket and watch yeah. it before it comes out. And it's coming out January 2020. Right. Um, tell us a little bit about the streaming. Then I want to ask you about what you're hoping happens with all this. My brother-in-law owns a production company, WP Films, and he has made multiple documentaries. And he's got a great independent uh, distribution model, and they really found that doing these ex- exclusive 24 to 48 hour deals ahead of the release, mm-hmm. even even when they were throwaway ideas, they they ended up being really beneficial to the company and to the film. So we kind of used their model. We borrowed their marketing company too for a couple months and kind of prepared a campaign that is on pace to do pretty well, we think. And so that's going to be really good for us on the front end. And then we do have domestic and global distribution. So we'll be in 
the, the, there aren't that many left, but Christian bookstores and, you know, Walmart, Best Buy, probably things like Amazon and Hulu, not Netflix. But, um, but yeah, so we have a full distribution model come the new year, which is great. And so that, that was a long time coming, but we held out and I think all that was great. So the streaming, you can go to heavenquestfilm.com. It's just our website. There's not a whole lot to see there right now. It's just kind of a landing page. And when you pay your five bucks, which really is what it costs to rent any movie these days, you will get for that 48 hours, get to stream the film. Also, at that time, you can buy. We'll have DVDs available, and you can also buy a digital copy of the film during that time. So mm, it'll okay. kind of open up. So it's just, but it's only for that short time, and then we're going to shut it down. It's that exclusivity thing. If you know marketing at all, exclusivity is awesome. So people get this kind of sneak peek and benefits us. Hopefully, people get excited about it. Uh, and then the actual release comes a few months later. Yeah, I was excited just watching the trailer, seeing some of the pictures from the allegories yeah. from this book. And just thinking, this is going to be really, really cool. <laughs> yeah, we hope so. I mean, it, anytime you you don't have it, I mean, listen, someone said to me once, actually, it was a director of photography, he said, every penny that you save or don't have on set is going to show up in the final product. And that is true. I think we did work a miracle here. I, we literally, Dan and I always say, like, we worked a miracle with this film. But yeah, I would have loved to have had another 250000 or half a million, and I would have loved to have had 20 more days to shoot. It's all about money. I mean, mm-hmm. we pulled a lot of favors, and we had a, amazing people, but we still paid everybody, and we, we only had so many days to do it. So we had to cram this whole epic movie into like a 25-day shoot, which is just like insane. We probably should have had 50 days. Every bit of press that I do, I like to say, if you go into this expecting Lord of the Rings, you're going to be really disappointed. It can't be Lord of the Rings. That was $100 million a movie. Narnia was $100 million. Shows like Game of Thrones, they were spending $90 million for their, for a season. It's just not that. But what we tried to do was tell this intimate little story about this man who finds redemption. We tried to give the illusion of scale, like there was a lot going on in this world that was bigger. But we really told this intimate story about this guy journeying kind of from A to B and also finding himself and finding redemption too and salvation. So that's important to say. Um, also, we really made a decision to make this a prequel story. We we actually had written Pilgrim's Progress a number of times into screenplay format, and we even had some other people take some shots at it. I personally, as kind of the, the vision head of this thing, felt like I really needed a lot of money to do Pilgrim's Progress justice. I feel mm-hmm. like that is an expensive, expensive film. There are some huge set pieces in that castles and fortresses and interiors and you know the city of vanity fair which is this huge sprawling city of all these people sinning you know and and so i was like man i just don't think we can pull that off with this budget so we basically decided to take one of the main characters which is evangelist he's like the wise sage who's always correcting christian and we said let's tell his backstory so kind of in the same world we created his backstory of when he was about 30 years old and how he became this amazing man of God who ends up leading Christian to the celestial city. So that was kind of Pilgrim's Progress is is the kind of book that teaches you a lesson every segment. Lesson here, and here's another Sunday school lesson, and here's another. And it just doesn't work as a cohesive story. So we really took a lot of liberties with creating a world, a greater theme and northern and southern kingdoms that are battling and you know, God is basically the northern king, and you've got references to Satan in this, and there's the Holy Spirit, and there's a Jesus character. So we just wanted to create this world, essentially, where we could tell future stories. If it ever came to that, we could—the next movie would have been, or could still be, 
the actual Pilgrim's Progress movie, just using kind of the context of the world we've created. So we, that was kind of our purpose from the get-go. And that's, you know, just, we took liberties, you know, and, and I know people are going to not quite pick up on the marketing materials because we're trying to be very transparent about that. And people are going to be expecting Christian story and we're, be, we're trying to be very, hey, we're trying to do this. You're going to see a lot of the same allegory, a lot of the same set pieces, but we did create a world. We actually created, a, I don't know if you've seen the beginning of The Hobbit where they create Middle Earth, like the map. We actually had a map created by a digital artist so we kind of could reference like where all these locations were. We took some liberties, you know, we created actual locations that we reference in the movie. Anyway, I don't want to get too long winded on it, but that's that's kind of what we were attempting to do. What would you like to see the results on the end? You know, if you look forward now, let's say a year from now. Yeah. What what would you hope to see all the results? Well, I hope, you know, look, I'm not gonna get rich off this movie. <laughs> like uh-huh. anyway, I probably won't make a penny on this movie, to be honest. Uh, I was paid a tiny, tiny bit up front. It was not glamorous at all. When you make a small movie like this, you just don't. I mean, we paid our crew as well as we could, and they they made decent decent money. But the the above the line people, like the producers and executive producers, like we really didn't make much money at mm-hmm. all. And so it's not about money, but I just like to say that because we you know people think oh maybe you paid yourself a big salary up front. No, I didn't. I mean, it was every penny we could we put into the production. If I was goal setting, I would love to be able to pay back our investors because they were amazing people that believed in this tiny little movie. I would love for people to just get what we were trying to do, and I hope they get something out of the movie. You know, not all movies are transcendent and you're a changed person because of seeing it, but hopefully it can be good family entertainment for people and that we can make more movies like this. Also, that just people understand like what we were really trying to do and can understand it from that standpoint. I know people are pretty vicious with their reviews and mm-hmm. with their social media posts, and I know we're going to get bashed. I'm preparing myself. It's just the way it is. But um, I just hope people get what we were attempting to do. I guess that's my dream, my vision, that people just kind of understand like, okay, he was trying to kind of move the needle here a little bit in faith-based film, like trying to do something a little different. Do you think if I brought somebody that doesn't know anything about Pilgrim's Progress other than what I tell them, and let's say they're not a Christian, what do you think they'll see out of it? I think the movie's a safe film to take people to that aren't Christians. I don't think this mm-hmm. is something that's going to like preach at them for an hour and a half. It's all there symbolically. Like If you're a Christian, you're going to see symbolism all over the place. Um, we really tried to stay true to what, to what Bunyan did. Does it follow the true Pilgrim's Progress, like, no. I mean, it's it's 30 years prior, so there's only some... Like, Apollyon is referenced. Apollyon's, like, the big destroyer in Pilgrim's Progress. So he's the main bad guy, but we don't really see him. He's just alluded to. It's more like his underling that's the issue, you know, or he's mm-hmm. the main villain. There's some references to some of the locations. We made the interpreter into kind of a Holy Spirit character who kind of brings wisdom to the main character. And uh, that's a character that's referenced. Vangel becomes Evangelist, so he's referenced. But if you're looking for a direct comparison to Pilgrim's Progress, it's not – this movie's not that. It just has mm-hmm. a lot of – it'll feel similar in some ways. But I think if someone came in, they wouldn't really gain like a knowledge of Pilgrim's Progress out of watching this, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yet all the spiritual undertones are there. Um, all the redemptive qualities are there. It's a clean movie with action, with creatures, with characters that are kind of whimsical and fun. So it has a lot of that same to it. Which makes sense. And and I think what I'm hearing is that I could bring somebody to it and they're yeah. going to get a feel for what the real battle is that the Bible talks about sure. and what's being yeah. fought. Absolutely. I mean, we, we look, you're not going to watch this movie and think, 
what was he trying to say? You know, this is not one of those movies. It's pretty much like bad guy in the Southern Kingdom, good king in the North, agents of both sides trying to help the pilgrims get there and rescuing pilgrims from kind of bondage in the Southern Kingdom. The, sun, the Southern Kingdom is alluded to as very oppressive. Amon is our main bad guy. Mm-hmm. There's agents that are are basically anyone that's trying to head north, they're just doing everything they can to derail them. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of their job. And then you have people that are coming over almost like mercenaries that are the good king's soldiers. They're coming across trying to, to bring Christians over and to help them find salvation. Our main character wears chains the whole movie instead of the big burden on his back. Mm-hmm. He's actually a, he's a prisoner and he gets these shackles put on at the very beginning that that can't be broken by ordinary means, so he has to get them off by some kind of supernatural mean, which is someone in the Northern Kingdom. So the, the poor guy that was our actor, uh, Patrick Thompson, who's awesome, he had to wear these metal shackles pretty much every <laughs> single day, and they were legit steel shackles. They had padding on the inside, but he was really feeling that uh, that burden for real, and he was getting pretty bruised up and beaten up. We even took him to the ER once on his, with his wrist because his wrists were so beat up. And wow. we were trying our best. It was really hard. So he went through a lot of this intense heat, altitude, just everything we, we put him through with these shackles on that were made of steel. So, you know, Matt, as I mentioned in the start of this, there are a lot of things that you did that you really people look at and go, no, you shouldn't make it that way. And and yet you've got this epic film that you've made really on a shoestring budget. How, how did you pull all that off? Well, I mean, one of the things that, was my I had this weird little philosophy in my head of locations, costuming, and cast. And that pretty much rode through all the way to the end. It was about, we went out, and actually I had, this is one thing when you're a small movie, Dan and I went out and did a lot of our own scouting. I scoured the internet, I called people, I we went on a trip out west. I actually went to New Mexico once to look for, for locations there. We ended up shooting in, in, uh, in L.A., Southeastern California in the desert and then up in the mountains of Northern California. But uh, we found these just really great locations that, I mean, give the movie incredible scale. You can see some of those in the trailer. Even our guys that came along, the crew, who were just a part of this for just a month or so, they would get out to these locations and they're just snapping photos because they're like, this place is so ridiculously awesome. I mean, it was mountain lakes and these rocky cliffs and deserts. And it was it was really cool. So put a lot into that. And it honestly wasn't even that expensive. That was probably maybe like two to three thousand dollars to, to uh, permit all those. And then we brought in someone who's a fashion designer and she made all these really bizarre, asymmetrical, different kinds of costumes, not your typical like just armor, chainmail, cloak type things. Mm-hmm. I probably would have maybe if I was left to my own devices, I probably would have done more of that. But she was able to take literally thrift store clothing and create beautiful gowns and armor. And it's insane. I mean, what she was, mm. everything's very asymmetrical. So it's very artsy and different. She would dip everything in this big bucket of sludge to make it look old and lived in and dirty. For makeup, we used more dirt than anything else. We used dirt makeup. Everybody's dirty. There's dirt in their fingernails, dirt in their hands, dirt in their faces, even the pretty people. It's like everyone's just filthy. We just wanted it to feel old and authentic. And that was part of it. And then we went out and found this incredibly diverse international cast that all have like great credits and have done amazing work starting with just a friend of mine who's the lead uh patrick thompson who's local he's a theater guy but he was incredible and then we brought in two actors from korea we have two from mexico we have an australian actress we have a danish actor we have an english actor we have an african-american latino actors we have like this incredibly diverse rich cast that did an amazing job Mm. i mean those three things really i think paid off and then we did have to 
have some favors and things like that. But we we broke a lot of rules. We when you make a first feature and when you make a low or budget feature, there's things you don't do. You don't shoot at night. You don't have action sequences. You don't have stunt people. You don't do visual effects. You keep your cast small. Uh, you don't move your company around a lot very much because it's a lot of work to move everybody around. You don't want to spend a lot of money on transportation. The list goes on. So A, we didn't have enough people on set. We had probably 20 to 30 people on set. We probably needed about 40 to 50 people on set. We shot at night numerous times with a tiny crew setting up lights. We had prosthetic makeup and blood and all this kind of stuff. We had probably 30 to 40 people on our cast. It was just crazy. Like we broke, it's just pretty much insane like what we did. And so when you're watching it, think about that is the fact that we just had to pinch every penny and do everything like we couldn't mess up. Like we could not mess up because we didn't have the days. We had one extra day at the end to do pickup shots. And that's just crazy. We we ended up getting all this. And our cast was, I'll tell you, as a first time feature director, the cast saved me. They were incredible. They uh-huh. sometimes take two to three takes and they would nail it. And it was it was high emotion. It was really good performances. The performances are awesome in this movie. For a low budget film, it's I mean, I would put it up there with any faith-based film that exists. The talent is incredible. So that kind of stuff really makes this feel like a bigger movie. And and the compliment was that when we showed it to Sony and Fox Faith and uh, MGM and Orion and Netflix and everybody, they all thought we spent three to four times what we actually spent. That's a huge compliment to everyone that worked on this. And I can't take credit for that. I mean, it's it's a lot of amazing people. And then on top of that, my producing partners, Dan and, and Rachel and, and David Kang, they they were just able to con- the people that worked on this movie on the back end. We had Ben Wilkins who won an Oscar for Whiplash. He did our sound engineering. Okay. We had Rich Molina who actually edited The Revenant and Hunger Games do our main edit. Uh, we had visual effects artists that worked on Captain America: The First Avenger and you know 2012 and some other MCU movies. It was a piecemeal, but man, we had some really really great great pieces on the back end of this thing. Our composer, sorry, our last thing, our oh, composer, no. Jonathan Beard, he he went to Stanford with Dan, my producing partner, and he uh, he did us a massive solid. We should have paid him three times what we paid, but he's like, hey, I just want to own the music and I want a chance to compose something totally original because wow. he's an orchestrator. He works. He worked on Deadpool, Black Mass with Johnny Depp. He's done all these huge movies, but he's always the guy directing the orchestra. And he's like, I want to write music and compose for a film. And he'd done it a few times. He's like, and I want to keep them. I want to own the music. And we're like, absolutely. You can totally own the music. So he did this for us for just an insanely awesome price. And when we got the score to the film, it for me, it really was amazing. We had all this temp music in there from huge movies like Lord of the Rings, Narnia 300. And when we put his music in and it matched what was happening in the film emotionally, it was it was awesome. It was just and the sound design's great. So the whole thing just came together so awesome at the end with all these great pieces too. So just an amazing two-year ride. Super excited to be finishing the race and get this thing out. <laughs> wow. If you don't mind me asking, yeah. so people know, what was the total budget? Uh, we just we see under a million. That's we we like to keep that sort of on the confidential side, but that's under a million dollars. Yeah, so, and I think that's significant enough to say because yeah. you look at it, you hear everything you just ran through, and you go, what? Yeah, it was it was hard. Um, no lie. <laughs> I, I bet. Yeah. And it was it was a matter of just truly, truly just making decision after decision. Dan did an awesome job with managing the books and really managing the money. And we had to do a small additional marketing raise to do a marketing campaign. So that's kind of what we're in the midst of now. So you're probably getting your your social media feed flooded with 
having quest <laughs> ads and video clips and things. And I had to do a lot of that. You know, we don't have that person to do that. So I spent right. days and days building 40 mini trailers and clip. And that's just what you do when you're making a small film. So mm-hmm. I'm a teacher and I'm a filmmaker, but I really want to do this full time. So hopefully this will open some doors for me and I can make some more movies. Well, I definitely hope it does for you. That'd yeah, I appreciate that. Well, just uh, one last thing I wanted to ask you before we go is the next step in this is that based upon how everything is received or do you already have plans for something else or is there something else really coming? We had written kind of a rough outline of what we would do. It would definitely be Christian's story, the actual Pilgrim's Progress. There are no immediate plans to do it. I think this just took a long time to get out. And so we initially had, I think, bigger, grander ideas. And we've kind of since moved on to like other, you know, moving on to other things. So we'll see. I mean, if if people really get this and like it and are like, wow, why can you make more? I think it's going to become easier for us to make another movie because it ultimately comes down to like getting people that believe in your projects and seeing what you're trying to do and then ultimately investing. I mean, that's that's the big thing. It's really not easy to make a movie. You have to raise a lot of capital even for this movie. But yeah, I would like to revisit it. I'd like to do that. I'd also like to make other films that are going to I guess, create different types and different genres of content in the faith-based space that people like me who enjoy certain types of content would enjoy seeing. Because again, I don't want to speak bad about anything that's being created in the faith-based space, but it is really, it's very repetitive. In fact, we were told by numerous companies we went to that they were going to kind of stick to family dramas and sports movies and biblical stories. That was pretty Mm -hmm. much what we were told on at least a couple occasions People didn't want to take any kind of risk. And we said, well, look, I think there's an audience for this. I think people would want to see this type of content. And we were told, well, maybe, but we're not going to go there. And that's from people like Sony and some of the bigger companies. So nobody wants to take the risk. And we we just want to make – I kind of equate it to like Christian music in the 80s. Yes. <laughs> I mean Christian music in the 80s was endearing and they were trying really hard, but it never, ever transcended anything. And it was very – you could tell immediately. You can still kind of tell. Yeah. But – I think some of the musicianship and some of the skill now, you couldn't tell the difference between secular music and pop music and Christian music. So I think they caught up, you know, and I feel like that's where Christian film, I've talked to people in marketing that say the Christian audience is about 10 years behind. They're just, they're still Mm -hmm. running DVDs. They're still, and that's fine. Like that's, I have no issue with that. It's just, I would like to make content for people like me and for my, my son's grown up and kids who are in their twenties and that want to see they're seeing all this really high quality content but it's garbage so much of it's mm-hmm. trash i mean yeah netflix they create some cool stuff but it's we've tried starting shows and they're so bad i mean bad from a content perspective and not even good writing sometimes that you can't even watch the stuff and i'm like why are we making like better high quality faith-based stuff that people actually want to watch and right. it's it's going to move the needle it's not it's going to be people that maybe at work that are not Christians, but wow, this is really cool. I really like this show. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's a Christian show. What? You know, I didn't even realize that. And I think that's where we're falling short. And so this is just a small stepping stone of trying to move the dial a little bit that way. And certainly I do not want to sell out my values or my beliefs or anything like that because there's things I would never be comfortable doing, you know, or filming or shooting or making a movie about. But there's so much great stuff out there we can do and so many great stories we can tell. That's kind of where I'm at. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll be looking for that needle to be moved and and a a great response. (laughs) Yeah. Appreciate you taking the time and thanks for being on today. I'm excited about this coming out, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. 
And uh, so we just want to say thank you to Matt Billen for being with us and God bless him and be praying for everything coming forward towards you. Appreciate it, Bruce. Thank you for having me. All right. You have a good evening. Thank you.